Hello, welcome to season two, episode one of this spiritual fix. Today we're going to be talking about how we are never upset for the reason that we think. Stay tuned for a great, deep conversation. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Anna. And good morning to everyone, or evening to everyone listening mm-hmm. to our first episode of the second season. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for coming back. <laughs> yep. And there's a funny story around that. Briefly tell that story. You guys may have heard us even advertising that Crystals was going to be the first episode of this new season. But did we even advertise it? I don't think we did. I think it was in the end of the last episode. And the funny thing about that is that, yes, it's Mercury retrograde, but... Whenever we're not supposed to do something, and you may have heard us allude to this last season if you listened, whenever we're not supposed to do something or whenever we're supposed to do something differently, things tend to mess up and really mess up. Yeah. Basically our angel guide, if we're not hearing him clearly, he'll just crash our computer. (laughs) He'll just, he'll just delete our files. And then we're like, wait a minute. Right. And so the funny thing about this is that I edited the entire crystals episode And then all of a sudden, 40 minutes of it disappeared and it was all garbled and like the tempo had changed in the file. So it like it was spaced out and some stuff was overlapping. And I was so, so frustrated, but I was like, it's okay. I am going to be okay. I went, I went camping for a week and I was like, I'm going to come back and it'll be all good and everything will be fine. And I'm just going to ignore this. And I was listening to it. I was 20 minutes into the episode and I was like, this is not our first episode. And so Anna and I are talking and I'm just like, I, 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 this is the perfect example of a projector generator relationship too, for those of you who are familiar with human design Anna's good at guiding, whereas I can see the big picture for days and not actually come up with any actions that come out of it. So I went to Anna and I was like, Hey, Anna, I don't know what's going on. This, you know, this technical glitch is happening and I'm listening to this and I'm just so not inspired that this is our first episode. And then Anna was like, okay, well, we have to launch this in three days. And, uh, and by the way, we usually record two to three weeks in advance. So to be on a Friday night discussing what we're going to launch on a Tuesday is pretty, uh, not typical of us. Yeah, exactly. And so she just kind of was like, Hey, can, when can you, when can you record? Cause I got an episode, I got an episode. And when she told me about the episode, I was like, Oh, thank God. Thank God. I have Anna, the projector here who was just like, knows exactly what needed to be done. And I'm so excited about this episode now. And I'm this is so excited true, about this episode. Yeah. This is the true start season opener for us. And you'll be able to hear crystals in a couple of weeks, but yeah. But we're no longer going to refer to what what's going to be in the next episode because Archangel Michael ha- might have different plans. <laughs> oh God, anything might. My computer, like all, all of the other guides, the the devas that we're working on, which you guys may be hearing in a first. Again, wanting to reference these future episodes, yeah. but we're, um, unless we're doing a series, we're just not referencing future episodes because yeah. things change. That's yeah. that's the beauty of life, and we're going to talk about that today. Yep. So what are we talking about today? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. The name of this episode and what we're talking about today is I'm never upset for the reasons I think. And that is coming from A Course in Miracles, Lesson 5. And Chris, you want to give a brief description of A Course in Miracles? For those of you who don't know, A Course in Miracles is a channeled document from Jesus. It was channeled in the 70s by a woman named um, Helen Shookman. And in New York, of all places, highly intellectual from Columbia University in that area. It's a very comprehensive and dense document, manuscript, that is about, basically, it's 
Jesus's teachings in his own words is what it, it purports to be. And the way that it's structured is that there's a text that follows and looks very much like the Bible in terms of the way that it's structured and uses very biblical language. And then there's a workbook, which has 365 lessons in it. And those 365 lessons are, it goes from lesson one, which is nothing I see in this room, on this street, from this window, in this place means anything, all the way to lesson 365. The holy instant would I give to you, be in, be you in charge, for I would follow certain that your direction gives me peace. So it, it takes you step by step by step by step by step, all the way from a very kind of... S- radical but basic concept in lesson one all the way through to very complex and deep spiritual work by the end of it. The basic idea of the Course in Miracles and what it's looking at is that Jesus is saying that forgiveness above all other teachings that he has ever taught that you ever heard in the Bible above anything else that forgiveness is one of the most important aspects of any practice that you have. And that is because the nature of the world that we're living in, the illusion the Maya, whatever word you want to pull from any kind of spiritual teaching, is that we are basically living in the matrix. The matrix, the movie from um, early 2000s, is kind of the best example of that, that says we are living in a construct that has trapped our minds into thinking that the world is impermanent and that it's full of suffering and all these different things. And basically Jesus is saying in the Course in Miracles, he's basically saying, hey, actually you can escape this construct by forgiving everything that you possibly can, because it's all your unconscious guilt that's being projected onto the world. It's kind of the easiest synopsis. What is your synopsis of the Course in Miracles? Do you have another one? My synopsis of a Course in Miracles is to me, it's kind of a bridge between the oral teachings of Buddha in the Dhammapada and the Bible. So for me, from coming from a background that I am not Christian and the Bible to my understanding has been interpreted in ways that are slightly corrupt. Like what I want to say is they're harmful. Yeah, they are harmful. Right. (laughs) Like if I, if I look at Christianity from the lens of what Christians in general have done, it doesn't paint it very nicely. But like, if you read the Bible and you interpret it in a way that a course in miracles does, it's very beautiful. Like if I see the Bible as representation of Christ consciousness and who we should become that a, a course in miracles simply just makes that more clear. Yeah. And, and kind of tie, bridges it to the Dhammapada. Whereas, you know, if I'm reading the Bible in the traditional way, be hurtful to others and send others to hell and say, I'm better than you. Gets Promoting and intolerance that, and, and like lack of love and understanding right. and forgiveness for other people. Right. So like, yeah, if you, I think A Course in Miracle for me is, is, is kind of just like a really nice way to understand what Jesus was trying to get across in a very loving, accepting permeate the truth, dissolve the illusion way. That's that's what it means to me. And I'll be honest, I was introduced to The Course in Miracles by my friend Anna, maybe when we were 16 and I am 40. So it has taken me 25 something years and I have maybe gotten to lesson four. It's just really deep. And it's, you could like spend 20 years on lesson one. It's been, or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's just like each lesson in and of itself is so deep and so complex. So we're discussing lesson five here, which I've actually not even gotten to. I think I've gotten only to lesson four in the last 20 or 15 years. Yeah. Um, anyways, but this is a great lesson and, and it means so much to me and I'm sure it's going to mean something to you. Yep. So can I read the lesson or summarize it? Please do. Yeah. Okay. So the lesson is I'm never upset for the reason I think. And so it basically goes step by step. So basically the idea is you're going to do an inventory of your mind and think of something that's upsetting you. Upset means afraid, angry, depressed, whatever. So for example, I'm upset or I'm pissed because you scan your brain for things that are upsetting you. And you think of what you think is the source of that upset. For example, I can go through my mind and think, okay, well, I'm really mad because my dog chewed my new pair of shoes. And then I have to say, I am not mad for the reason I think. Like, I think that the source of my anger is the dog chewing my shoes. Let's all just assume for a minute that that's not true. Let's assume for a minute that... (sighs) I get, I get, can I read something? 
Yes. I'm going to read the bolded text in here because I think this is a really good, because this, this gives you very clearly what the Course in Miracles thinks, because the, the Course in Miracles is exceptionally mm -hmm. uncompromising in its view of reality. And it's like, this is reality and your mind's going to have trouble with it, but this is reality. And let's keep going and let's keep coming back to the point that this is reality. It says, the upset may seem to be fear, worry, depression, anxiety, anger, hatred, jealousy, or any number of forms all of which will be perceived as different. This is not true. However, until you learn that form does not matter, form being the reason, the story. The physical right? world, yeah. Yep. Each form becomes a proper subject for the exercises for the day. Applying the same idea to each of these separately is the first step to ultimately recognizing that they are all the same. So what the Course in Miracles is trying to say and what this lesson is trying to say is that I'm mad at my dog because he chewed my shoes. I'm mad at my husband because he didn't fold the laundry. I'm mad at my kids because they, you know, screamed in my ear. That doesn't matter. Like I, I, I put a story on all of those different things and none of those stories, all of those stories are actually exactly the same. The reason for all of those is exactly the same, even though I think that I'm upset because my kids screamed in my ear and I think right. that I'm upset because my husband didn't do the laundry. Right. Like basically A Course in Miracles is all about saying that we have been duped. We think the world is the cause and the state of our mind is effect, meaning something happens outside us and then the state of mind changes causing the effect. And we have an addiction to believing that what happens causes us to feel the way we feel. This is the greatest misperception of the entire world is to think that the things outside us are the things causing us to feel what we feel. And I find it extremely interesting that the very first verse in the Dhammapada, which is when Buddha died, they got together all the arhans, meaning all the people he facilitated getting enlightened. And they all got together and they're like, we're going to write down everything he said before he's been good, dead for too long and we forget. And the very first thing in the Dhammapada, which to me means it is probably one of the most important things, the mind is the basis for everything. Everything is created by my mind and is ruled by my mind. When I speak or act with impure thoughts, suffering follows me as the wheel of the cart follows the hoof of the ox. The mind is the basis for everything. Everything is created by my mind and is ruled by my mind. When I speak or act with clear awareness, happiness stays with me like my own shadow and it is unshakable. I was wronged. I was hurt. I was defeated. I was robbed. If I cultivate such thought, I will not be free from hatred. I was wronged. I was hurt. I was defeated. I was ro robbed. If I turn away from such thoughts, I may find peace. So the, the Dhammapada itself, the very first phrase from Buddha, the enlightened master is saying, y'all, it's not the things outside you causing your mental state. Your mental state is causing the things outside you to this very phenomenon that A Course in Miracles is saying, which is that mind precedes, mind is the, is the cause, not the effect. So when we say mind, it's not necessarily the thoughts that come up. It's not the voice that's in your head that we're talking about. We're talking about the thought generating machine that lives in your head, right? And that's kind of, I'll explain that more when we talk about the science aspect of this a little bit later in the episode. But I just wanted to kind of clarify that quickly that says when we're talking about mind, we're not talking about just, oh, I don't like Sally and I don't like all the thoughts that come up. It's actually that place that generates those thoughts originally. Right. Okay. So going back to the lesson, lesson five, I'm never upset for the reasons I think it says very italicized in that lesson. It says there is no small upset. They are all equally disturbing to the peace of your mind, which is to say, if you're upset because your son spilled the milk and you're upset because so-and-so was elected president, or you're upset because you, you lost your job, I mean, they're all equally upsetting. Like they're all equally disturbing to your peace. Do not like rank one upset as more important than the other. They're all equally important. Exactly. Yeah. And it further says, I cannot keep this form of upset and let the others go. For the purposes of these exercises, then I will regard them as all the same. So whether that, and this is controversial to say, but whether that's abuse that you've experienced in the past or it's literally stubbing your toe. That's what this is. That's how radical this is, right? To say is like, is that all the things that I am upset for, I am not upset for the reason that I think. So I have a question, Anna, for us to yeah. answer that comes from this. 
is what are we upset at? This is a difficult, this is, this is deep. There's two layers to that. I think. Yeah, I think so too. There's, there's the layer of I'm upset anyways, and I'm just looking for the cause of my upset. Mm-hmm. I'm having a shitty, I'm having a shitty state of mind or I'm having a shitty day and this happened. And so I'm going to blame my anger on that because it's just easier than recognizing that it's my own responsibility. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's that layer. The second level of the meaning, which the Course in Miracles goes into, is we're actually upset because we have a perceived separation from God. Mm-hmm. Now, when Chris and I discuss God, we are discussing the Creator, or you could say your higher consciousness, or you could even say like science, like whatever just created this world. Let's just universe. call it that universe. We're going to use the word God. I hope it's not triggering for people, but we're just we're we're talking about the Great Creator. Yeah. Luke, Luke calls it the all-knowing original intelligence. I was raised Jewish. And so we have this like jealous, angry God. And I have come to experience God as nothing like that. Yeah. So to me, it's the creator. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the source of all the, it's the, it's the being who made me and that, and who we only make things with love. Right. So to me, I use the word creator. We'll interchange what words we use, but that's what we're talking about. So if it triggers you, I'm sorry, just kind of like, you know, put a different word in there yeah. in your mind or just say, I'm not upset for the reason I think. Anyways, um, yeah. So ultimately like what we're truly upset for with or what we are, the cause of our true upset is a perceived separation from the creator because we're basically like, we were once, you know, in the state of omnipotent peace and love and joy and nothing in the absolute. And then suddenly we're on this earth where that only survives because of decay. Like my very existence in this world is dependent upon other things decaying or dying, whether I eat plants or animals, you know, someone, something's got to decay or die for me to survive. I'm constantly in a state of decay and death. I will be confronted with with unavoidable suffering in this life, whether through illness, old age, birth, or death. I mean, this world is not necessarily heaven. Yeah. So, you know, so there's this, there's this perceived separation, like, God, why have you forsaken me? Like, God, why have you left me uh, in this world? Like, I want to go back to you. And that is the true cause of the upset. But actually, yeah. actually it's a perceived one. It's an illusion. Yeah. Yeah, because the idea being that just like the Matrix, again, going back to this, you know, instead of us waking up to this like battery factory, as they do in that movie, they we are actually waking up to where we always were the whole time, which is this in the bosom of the all-knowing original intelligence, right? Like we never left. This is just a creative fart in reality. (laughs) It's just a creative burp that we just, we expressed it and, but we're stuck here until we can heal our minds in order to be able to get back to that original. It's a forgiveness factory. Like this world is a forgiveness factory. We are here to forgive. And as we forgive, we dissolve the illusions. Mm -hmm. We dissolve the illusions. The more you forgive, the more you come to recognize you really aren't upset for the reasons you think, because if forgiveness can have this radical change on everything around you, like it can literally change things around you. So if your state of mind has that kind of power, then we're really just here to forgive everything. Yeah. And, and recognize ultimately we do have the same kind of level of power of God. You know, we are made in God's image. We have creative power. We have, we are creators ourselves and we can create our own reality. Yep. And we, we can live heal this, our own minds. Yeah. Yeah. And we live in this false reality of being like, I'm the victim. I'm the victim. So every time we're saying that something outside of me is upsetting me, we're just, we're just, it's like a drug addict getting a hit. We're just reclaiming our addiction to believing that the source of our mon- mental state is outside of us. Yep. Yep. What does Matt Kahn say about, I love Matt. You've done a lot of work with Matt Kahn, right? Yeah. Um, I took him, he's a course, the 10 laws for spiritual success is a Matt Kahn course. And I just adore him because he's very heart centered and he kind of was what I needed to hear after so many years of doing Vipassana, which is hard work and diligence. And in some ways I was actually abusing myself to be like, you need to be a great meditator and you need to do this and that. And he's like, love yourself. (laughs) 
you know, come back to your heart, you know, and um, I really needed to hear that. But anyways, what he says is they all, they all, all these masters kind of say the same message, which is, this is all an illusion. He says, the thing about life is this, he doesn't say this, but I'm just going to go into it real quick. There's a book called origin of consciousness and the breakdown of the bicameral mind by Julian James and he, uh, 1976 is published. And he says in every second, 11 million bits of information are being processed through our brain unconsciously. 11 million bits, okay? Our heart beating, the blood flowing, the liver, like the sounds, like all sorts of things. 11 million bits of information we are processing every second, but we cannot consciously be aware of any of that. We can only be aware of 50 bits. And then we can only be like juggle in our mind, seven plus or minus two, bits of information. So just think there's so much vast information out there that we are not even aware of 11 million bits. Like, and of those 50, we're consciously aware of, like, that means that under the surface, so much is running the show that we are not even aware of. Mm-hmm. Like we have no freaking idea what, what our brain and our, we are perceiving. And so here we are thinking that we're in control when we don't even know. So the idea is like, everything is kind of pre-planned. What if everything is like a ricochet domino effect? And like right now, everything that's coming out of my head was programmed thousands, years, you know, not thousands, but years and years and years ago, or or even hours ago because of a chain reaction of stimuli response that I'm not even aware of, right? Yeah. So Matt Kahn says, the way that we act when we think that everything outside of us can upset us is the same thing as like going into a movie theater, That movie has been written. The screenplay has been edited. The director has shot the shots. They have edited the movie. Like the movie has gone into production and it's all ready to go. And you're in the movie theater and you're about to check out, buy your popcorn and your candy. And you think if you buy popcorn, the movie's going to end like this. And if you buy candy, the movie's going to end like that. It is as absurd as thinking that you have control over the end outcome. Like if you actually think that buying popcorn or candy is going to change the outcome of a movie that's already been written, Mm. you have just completely, your, your, your focus is just completely not in the right place. Like you, you have no control over the outcome. Like you have no control of what's going to happen on the screen because it's already been written by this domino effect of chain response of stimulus reaction, stimulus reaction. And mm-hmm. so when you're getting upset about the things that are happening outside you or thinking that worrying about something's going to change the outcome, it's already been planned. Yeah. That's what Matt Kahn says. So for those of you who find this idea that the world is an illusion, let me kind of pull on some stuff from very, very recent science to kind of maybe give you a little bit more for those of you who are rationalists or skeptics or scientists or any of those things. I kind of want to pull on a couple of quotes. Um, I'm pulling these quotes from a book uh, called Real Magic by Dean Radin, Dr. Dean Radin from the Institute of Noetic Sciences. But I also want to recognize that these are quotes that are being pulled that he has pulled, obviously, to be able to validate the fact that consciousness is that there's been a massive shift in kind of the leading edge of science at this point in which we used to think the basis of all reality was physics from that came chemistry so the interactions of the you know the molecules and then from that came life and then from that came psychology so the mind basically psychology comes from biology and then the mind um, comes from that and then consciousness arises from the mind so consciousness in this kind of upward causation triangle, what you see is that, you know, the basic movement of, of everything within the universe after the big bang then created consciousness. But the massive shift that's changing is that what we're, they're starting to realize is that actually what makes the most sense is that the, is that actual consciousness is the basis that actually creates physics, chemistry, biology, et cetera. Um, that creates everything else from it so that you're basically changing it so that instead of consciousness being at the top of this triangle, it's actually the basis of all reality. And I'm going to tell you two quotes that I really enjoy that talk about this. In this, this is a um, a physicist, uh, Vlatko Vedral, in his 2012 book, Decoding Reality. 
And in this, they refer to information, but information can be sankara, it can be karma. You can kind of turn the word information into a number of different things from different different beliefs. Information and not matter or energy or love, that may be controversial to some people, aside, is the building block on which everything is constructed. Information is far more fundamental than matter or energy. Information can also be used to explain the origin and behavior of microscopic interactions such as energy and matter. Information, in contrast to matter and energy, is the only concept that we currently have that can explain its own origin, right? So move that into, you know, uh, what you're talking about in terms of, of, information being consciousness, information being karma, information being this, this webbing that we ride on is the only thing that can explain its own conception. And then another quote is from, uh, was science, uh, was published by the APA, which is the, uh, American psychological association in 2016 in a book called the transcendent mind by psychologist Emance Baruch. I think it's Baruch of King's college uh, King's University College, excuse me, and neuroscientist uh, Julia Mossbridge. It says, we are in the midst of a sea change. Receding from view is materialism where physical phenomenon are assumed to be primary and consciousness is regarded as secondary. Approaching our sights is a complete reversal of perspective. According to this alternative view, consciousness is primary and physical is secondary. In other words, materialism is receding and giving way to ideas about reality in which consciousness plays a key role. So take those two ideas from leading edge physicists, which is now a couple of years old, because we're obviously in 2021. And if consciousness is the basis of all reality, that means that basically the predecessor of mind, right? That original thought is actually what creates the entire world. And if that's the case, then it is the simulation. It is the illusion because consciousness is malleable and therefore can change everything. It's not as materialistic. It's not atoms that we can tap and everything's different. So that's a scientific perspective on this whole idea that illusion, that the world is an illusion or a simulation. It reminds me also, there is a great podcast, which we'll link in the show notes called Where Is My Mind? And they go through interviewing physicists and scientists and explaining that this idea of consciousness has been very seldomly researched by a lot of scientists because it comes across as bogus and like, you know, too new agey and weird. So people aren't, it's it's, it's just been a very understudied area of science is like, what is consciousness where is consciousness and at the end of this podcast I, I there's just too much for me to go into it, it brings all this information together to say that consciousness is actually we our bodies are in consciousness and our consciousness are not in our bodies using near-death experiences and psychic phenomenon and all sorts of other experiences of like people having an MRI and having basically no brain tissue, like actually no brain tissue, but having total normal unconsciousness and intelligence. They say that ultimately we can think of it like the brain is the iPhone and the iCloud is a consciousness. So the brain is not the generator of consciousness. It is just the tool with which we use to tap into consciousness. Consciousness is actually vast and it kind of floats from body to body. I'm not doing the series justice, but but that kind of ties into this because because they use science to explain it. And and one of the things that he talks about that Dean Radin talks about in this book is he talks about these three ideas that keep popping up all over now science and all over things. One is consciousness is fundamental, meaning it is primary over the physical world. Two, everything is interconnected, and three, there's only one consciousness. And those three things are what keeps coming up time and time again, and everything is is validating that very thing. So for those skeptics out there, science is finally catching up. That's right. me being controversial with a science background, <laughs> but yeah. And so what I think is really important is where we go from here. We're never, the, the lesson is we're never upset for the reason that we think. And that is because, and and it ta- we ta- we obviously have talked so far about the things we could be upset at, the external things that we could be upset at, and then we're like, well, actually, this is the real reason that the Course in Miracles and so many masters are saying that we are upset. So 
from here, you could take two things. You could go into the place, you could go two paths. One, you could be relieved, which is what I felt when I first read it. I was like, anytime for me, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but anytime for me that I hear this, I'm always like, oh, I feel so much relief. You're right. I'm never upset for the reason that I think. And all of a sudden the story dissolves and I feel so much better. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. Or you could take the other route, which is, okay, so everything's predetermined and I don't even have control over anything at all. We're also going to get into that. But first, Anna, tell me how this has like affected your life. Like, tell me how this, this particular lesson has like helped you um, in your life. Well, in season one, we go through in great detail, the five primal wounds. And so for a long time, I had been looking at through that lens, like, if something upset me, I'd be like, I'm not upset for the reason I think that I'm actually just getting a trigger knee jerk response to a wound. Like someone would do something. And if I look objectively at their actions, they actually didn't quote unquote hurt me. I just interpreted it as painful or hurtful because of my wound. So there, there was that. So it kind of gave me like this very cognitive mental um, just kind of separation. Like it allowed me to take a step back from what was really happening and see like, I'm not upset for the reason I think I'm actually upset because my wound has been triggered. And that was really good. It, it helped me take away blaming others for hurting me or just kind of taking ownership for my own pain. So that was really good. As I've progressed more and more in, in this path, I recently did like an RTT, which is a rapid transformation therapy with a man named Gerard Hill, who was amazing. And in that session, he kind of put me in a deep trance and we went back to my childhood and we saw a beautiful memory where I was just playing blocks on the floor with my father. I was like three or four. And in that moment, I experienced like true, true peace, like true satisfaction and true peace, just sitting on the floor, playing blocks with my dad, feeling this love in my heart and this sense of all satisfaction. And he told me, this is yours. Like these feelings in your heart belong to you and you can have you know, you can go back to them whenever you want. And it, and after the session was over, whenever, not even if I was upset, just in general, I kept bringing my attention and focus back to my heart and back to that feeling I felt as a three-year-old playing blocks and just how simple, like I didn't need anything. I didn't need a bigger car. I didn't need a better job. I didn't need a higher podcast ranking. I didn't need my husband to do X, Y, or Z. Like I didn't need anything. I was perfectly content sitting on the floor with my father in the blocks. And I'm like, I can have that peace whenever I want. It actually is mine whenever I want. And then I started to think about life as like this golden corral buffet, you know, for anyone who's not from the US, like a golden corral buffet is like these American cafeterias where you go and you get a plate and you can fill it up with like any freaking food you can imagine, like, like excess to the nth degree. So like life is like the golden corral buffet. You can walk in, you can be very healthy and put a nice salad on your plate, or you can pile it up with pizza, macaroni and cheese, cornbread, You know, you could be a kid and run up to the dessert table and just stack it on high with dessert. The point is, it's all available to us. Like everything is available to us, thought-wise, attention-wise. Where are you going to put your attention? Like, what are you choosing to put on your plate? Like I could go throughout my day focusing on, like like maybe Matt Kahn and The Course in Miracles and Buddha are right. Maybe I don't have true authority over what's going to happen. But I do have authority over where I put my attention. Mm -hmm. So if all this is available to me anyways, and I have no control over it, at least I can, I can control where I'm focusing, where my attention is. And maybe, well, maybe even that was predetermined, who knows, but, but it feels like I have control over my attention. So I can go into the golden corral and I can just put that loving heart feeling in my heart. You know, like I have the choice to focus on that heart feeling instead of going throughout my day. And when this and that, and this and that, and this happen, put my attention on how the other person or that other thing is the source of my upset. I get to choose. Am I going to put my attention outside of me onto that? Or am I going to put my attention on my heart and give myself what I want? Cause what do I ultimately want? Like if, 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 if problems are a Sudoku puzzle with no resolution, like you get the little puzzle and you try to figure it out and figure it out and there's actually no solution to the puzzle, like the real solution is always self-love, meaning like every fucking problem actually comes down to we just want to feel love and peace. Like ultimately that's all we really, really want. That's like the end goal of every fucking problem is love and peace. And if I can just focus on that in my own heart, and come home to that feeling of like love and peace in my heart, I solve all the problems. 
So for me, how it's changed when I'm never upset for the reasons I think I tell my, I I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm never upset for the reasons I think, because everything outside of me is not truly what's causing my upset. It's a step. It's, it's what's causing my upset is I'm stepping away from my own heart. I'm stepping away from this feeling of love and peace. Like the three-year-old on the floor with her daddy playing with blocks. Like I've stepped away from that beautiful feeling. We all have a beautiful memory of peace and satisfaction in our hearts. If if we go back further enough for some of us who've had a rough childhood, so you might have to go under hypnosis to find it. But the point is we all have that sense somewhere in us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not upset for the reasons I think because I'm focusing on something outside of myself. And if I just keep coming back and coming home, I'm, I call it those note that coming home. And I tell myself, there's no place like home. I keep just coming back to me and I'm not upset anymore. So, you know, when something does upset me, what I've kind of been doing is, okay, I'm not mad for the reasons I think. And what I'm ultimately mad about is that I'm not feeling peace and love in my heart, but I can create it by simply just focusing my attention there. So then I put my attention and it's not toxic positivity because trust me, I go through the feelings of anger, but I just shift my attention to my heart. And suddenly whatever I'm upset about doesn't seem so important because I got the solution to my problem, which I eventually wanted anyways, which was peace and happiness. Mm -hmm. So that's how it works for me. And sometimes I, if, if I'm not saying I'm not upset for the reasons I think I chant over and over again, there's no place like home, you know, and I'll even tap my feet together like Dorothy and the wizard of Oz. Cause it just makes it more strong. And I'm like, there's no place like home. Like there's no place like my heart. There is nothing that feels as good as this. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. So what about you, Chris? <laughs> so I mentioned this last season, I'm pretty sure. Um, I remember the moment when Anna and I were sitting in Jeju Sana, which is a, a amazing Korean spa outside of Atlanta. And she was doing Matt Con, and I was really upset about something. I don't even remember what the hell I was upset about. I was very upset about something. And Anna said something like, she may have even said, I'm never upset for the reason that I think. And all of a sudden, like, the Course in Miracles lesson that had just been sitting dormant in the back of my brain came rushing forward. And I was like, oh my God, the Course in Miracles says that too. And I kind of started going crazy. My intellect started going crazy, but I remember this flood of absolute relief that I felt with it. And I actually remember what it was. It was about um, codependence. I was upset with my husband because I felt abandoned because I, you know, I think it was would, a supermarket run. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, he would go to the supermarket for like, he's a, he's a five in the Enneagram for those of you who know what that is. And he literally has to read every single bottle, like every single thing that he gets, he reads and he like determines the price difference and he things like this. The other day he asked me, he was like, do you even look at the prices? I was like, yeah, yeah. For like a millisecond, I look at the prices and I'm like, okay, I am, I'm, this is, this is worth my time and energy to get it. He, everything is balanced. Everything is weighed. He's got to look at all this kind of stuff. So he would spend three hours at the grocery store. And for me being alone with the kids for a long time, I was like kind of afraid of that because I was afraid that something bad would happen to them. And I wouldn't know what would happen. Like just kind of this blanket of trauma person in which all of my past made me very nervous to be around my kids all the time, which is crazy. I know, but I had really, really bad postpartum depression. I had, I've had all sorts of things that kind of would set that up. So for him to be gone for three hours at the grocery store, I was upset about this. When Anna said, this is what Matt Kahn says. And then my Course in Miracles lesson came flooding forward. I was just like, oh my God, I'm not at all upset at Luke. I am not at all upset at Luke. And it was like this shining moment of, oh my God. Like for one thing, it broke open my codependence, that the codependent thing that I had, my fear of abandonment, my fear of my children dying and me not being able to do anything about it, you know, but it also, it also just like flooded me with relief as I was like, okay, okay. I get this. I get the, the fact that this is not what I'm upset about. And where I've been since then and before that as well was that, you know, for me reading the Course in Miracles, I read the disappearance of the universe as kind of my entry point into a Course in Miracles. I hadn't even, I had read it and I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is, this is, I understand the Course in Miracles. I bought the book and then found it difficult and then went back to the disappearance of the universe and have done a lot of the stuff that Gary Renard have read all of the books in the series about it. For me, what resonated the most out of all of it And the reason why I'm never upset for the reason I think made so much sense to me 
was that I've had this kind of existential angst my entire life or maybe my adult life. I don't actually remember well enough in my childhood if it was the case. I think I was just exuberant with life when I was younger. And then as kind of trauma built on trauma, built on trauma and like experience came out, I just started thinking how unfair it was, which is the injustice wound, how unfair it was that I got stuck in this world and I couldn't get out. Like the more I meditated, the more I did, you know, Vipassana, the more I did all these different things. I was just like, I can't, why am I still stuck here? Like, what can I do to get out of here? Which is of course, for those of you who know Buddhism well, would know that it's an aversion to being alive. It's an aversion to being in suffering. Like it's like, it's a big one. It's a very, very big Sankara. And so for me to say, I'm never upset for the reason that I think I'm not actually upset with my husband for not being here and recognizing that actually I am upset at the state of where I am. Like I kind of go back to that existential angst. Sometimes I can even transcend that. Like I can transcend it and be like, okay, I'm not upset for all of these things. Even, even the things that feel so, so big are not the, they're all the same. They're all the same. And having a version to being a human or having a version to being stuck in this world and not being enlightened yet is a big problem, but it's something that, you know, it makes me feel better. It, 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 it placates my existential angst. It makes it so that the logical arguments that I have in my head, which is something that the injustice wound gives me and the kind of this caused this, which caused this, which caused this. And now I'm stuck here. It all dissolves away even with those huge things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think with the, the whole, like, I'm never upset for the reasons I think it's like the two layer, like there's two layers to it. One is like what you're saying is the first layer is, well, I'm actually not upset with my husband for, for, you know, being gone at the grocery store for three hours. I'm really more upset with the fact that I have anxiety that if my children were you know, something happened in the house, I wouldn't have the mental capacity to deal with that chaos or, or that accident or whatever. So you're like, bring it back to you. Kind of like I did, like, I'm not upset for the reason I think it's actually a wound being triggered. So there's like la the layer one of meaning could just be that, like just recognizing you're not really necessarily mad at the other person or the other thing. You're just mad at your or own reaction scared. to it. Right. Yeah. Or you're scared. And then behind that is you're mad because you're separated from what you really want, which is, you know, freedom or love or reconnection with God. You know, and to me, it's synonymous, that feeling in my heart when I say like, I'm coming home, there's no place like home and that feeling in my heart. To me, that's God. Yeah. You know, that, that to me is, is God. That's yeah. me reconnecting from that separation or that perceived separation. Yeah. Yeah. And my process, I use my I don't have the quite the amazing thing that Anna has yet. Mine's a bit different. Mine is, it's a system. The way that my brain works is that it's a, it feels very intellectual, but what happens is that when my mind gets caught up in puzzles and when it kind of looks at the system in a different way, and then the system, all of a sudden, it's like the moment that the system starts to make sense to me right? Like the moment that everything, like, it's like when I get that aha insight that we talked about in one of the last episodes of last season, when I get that insight that says, oh my gosh, it like floods my entire body. And I feel like I'm at home again. Right. And it's, it's, it's right. a very different people and, and people have different experiences of what home feels like, but that's my feeling of home is like, oh, I get it now. I get it. And, and it lights up my heart in a way that I can't, really explain because it's different, but yeah. 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 Like, um, I love, I love the Sudoku puzzle analogy and I want to go back to it real quick because I think that's really helpful for people. As you know, Chris and I, we are each other's facilitators for growth and we you know we jokingly say we're each other's therapists and it, it'll be like, Chris is like, this happened. Or I, you know, I'll be like, this happened. It must mean this. So if I do this and then that happens, then this would cause this to happen or it caught this caught happened because of that happened. And I have in my head, you know, like there's that funny picture of, um, of, of it's always sunny in Philadelphia with Charlie, like making this thing on the wall. Like he has this big, like puzzle on the wall where he has like photos and they're all attached. And he's like, what I, you know, 
the meme is like, this is what I think I look like when I'm talking about whatever. And this is what I really look like. You know, we, we have like this thing, uh, this, this in our minds, we all do it. Like there's a problem. And instead of facing head on our upset and then transcending that, we try to go into the outer sources. If, If I can change that, or if that person would have done this, they did that because of this. Oh, he's just a narcissist. That's why he did this. And you're making this whole puzzle piece to try to explain where the upset came from or how the upset can get solved. Like I will stop myself from doing that now. And I'm like, it's just a Sudoku puzzle with no solution. Like, would you waste your time buying a book of Sudoku puzzles, which, which are little number puzzles, you know, like kind of like a crossword where you work your ass off trying to put the numbers in the boxes. And then you find out there's actually no solution because none of them actually fit. Like, would you buy that book? Would you spend hours trying to solve a puzzle that has no fucking solution? But we do it to ourselves with all this shit. Yeah. We do it with ourselves with all our interpersonal conflict or work conflict or this or that. We try to solve these puzzles and there are no solutions to these puzzles. Like their only solution is coming home, yeah. whether that's forgiveness or love or peace. But it's just like, yeah, that has really helped me just when I'm off on a fucking tangent like Charlie. And I'm just like, this is a Sudoku puzzle with no solution. I cannot control that person. Even if I figure out their motivation, I still feel like this. Yep. You know? I feel, yeah, I feel like um, my darker analogy is it's like rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. Like the argument's not going anywhere. It lives in the external world and it's just there to be forgiven. The only thing that you can do the Titanic as it sinks is to forgive it and to see it as perfect. Right. And then right. it resolves itself. Then, then the tangles in your mind, you're, you don't have to be in the middle of the rat's nest trying to untangle all the, all the, all the tails. You can pull uh, yourself above it and be like, actually, this isn't, this isn't where my attention should be. Right. And as Anna mentioned in her whole thing about the golden corral, it's all about attention because that's really where we have our power. And I mentioned earlier about how for those of you who feel angsty or feel worse with this idea that I'm never upset for the reason that I think because you have this predetermined reality, we want to kind of go into the second aspect of this episode, which is to talk about this very high spiritual saying, which is, I am not the doer of action, right? When I first heard that, I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Me too. I was like, because my husband, my husband's been a, like a bigger, big proponent of this since I, before I met him. So he'd be like, well, I'm not the doer of action. And I'm like, say what? <laughs> what does that even mean? I mean, and really for those of you who feel like, wait, I, so, so first you're telling me that I'm not upset for the reason that I think, and now you're telling me that I'm not even doing the action that then created the upset, like what the hell you're pushing me further into this corner of like, I have no control over anything, but that's kind of the, kind of the thing, right? Like the kind of the thing is that the whole point of the movie theater is in the whole point of the course of miracles and Matt Kahn and all of these different, you know, teachings is that we are not we are in the movie theater and it is a holographic reality. It is, it feels real in every single thing that we do, but it is a, you know, when you change your mind, when you decide that you want to heal your mind, when you decide that you're ready to get out of it, it becomes a forgiveness play. It becomes a forgiveness machine and everything around you is there to forgive. And, you know, when you're faced with the reality of, okay, I'm not the doer of action and I'm not the, I'm not upset for the reason that I think then all of a sudden you're in a place where you're like, okay, so what do I do now? What do I do now? Right. What do you do? <laughs> I want to, I want to give a couple examples of like, what does it mean for the, be the doer of action or not? Yeah. Cause we have, yeah. we didn't explain that. Did we? No, no, no. Before we get into that, here is a text from the Vedanta. It says, Righteousness, unrighteousness, pleasure, and pain are connected with the mind and not with the all-pervading you. You are neither the doer nor the reaper of the action. So you are almost always free. So, okay, what does it, what does it mean? Pleasure and pain are connected with the mind and not the all-pervading you. Well, like the all-pervading you, we talk about it in episode three, season one, that ultimately we are nothing. Like ultimately or we are this emptiness. Can you explain a little bit about the emptiness and the all pervading you? <laughs> yeah. Chris? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea being that 
this goes back to what we were talking about, about the, the mind thoughts and where you have the mind machine and then you have the thoughts. And the entire idea is that, you know, you could think of it as big C being consciousness, the unified consciousness that is all of reality. And then your perception of it, which is your little C, right? So big C, little C, you know, when we're in our personal stories, we're always in our understanding of little c, right? And so our thoughts and everything that arises from that kind of are very personal. And they're like, oh, well, this person did this to me and da, 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 da. And as you start to grow in your spiritual world, you let go of the little c. You get let go of the, the, the personal stories and you start getting into the bigger idea of like, oh, I'm actually this, this, I'm a part of everything, right? And so in some ways, what you're doing is you're emptying yourself of the stories and your attachment to the stories that are in your personal personality, right? And you're looking and you're saying, actually, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start looking at this big C consciousness and I'm going to start looking at, I'm going to start experiencing that instead. I'm going to always try and be in my big self, not my small self, not my lowercase c, but my uppercase c. And the more I empty myself of those thoughts and, and my attachment to the thoughts, the thoughts are still going to happen. Like everything, your, your thoughts are still going to happen, but your attachment to them and your belief that they are real and valid becomes less and less and less. And you start to empty yourself of the attachment to them. So your awareness can move from those stories and those thoughts into something that is actually bigger and something that fills you more. And and once again, you don't have control over anything. You only have control over where you put your awareness. Are you putting it on the ego stories, the Sudoku puzzles with no ending, or are you putting it on observing on the observer, on the witness? The not being the doer of action in the book, I am that. There's a book called I am that, Sri Nisargata Maharaj. And he says, he says, commit to seeing the real and the unreal will simply fall away. Like, we don't really have to do much. We, we can do nothing. And it just is like a, a spindle that unravels. Like, you know, you spin up a top and if you stop winding the top and you let go, it'll just spin and eventually unravel. You know, it's like um, when you just stop unraveling things up, they unravel. And it's kind of like, what are we raveling things up with? We're raveling things up with resistance and stories and blame and focusing on things outside of us. But if we just turn our attention inward, everything just unravels. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of, at least for me, that's what it feels like to be the, to not be the doer of action is like, when I just kind of give up and stop trying, I unravel and I'm more in the flow and I can see that maybe I'm not really in control of anything and that actually is reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. It can also be overwhelming. I've definitely had periods where I was looking at enlightenment and saying, okay, so what? I'm just going to become a bump on a log. Right. I mean, that's the mind trying to figure out enlightenment. And let's be honest, I'm not anywhere near that at this point. So, you know, the mind will come up with any reason to try and resist the resistless. At the same time, I think it is important to say that giving up is not the same as stopping action. It's stopping reaction. Right, 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 right. And that's super, super important here because... I should go back and delete that when I said giving up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it's really important. That, I think that... It, it follows on okay. what I'm because, saying. Yeah. Here. I didn't mean like giving up like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to watch that man kick his dog. Cause I've given up. It's not that I, what I mean is I've given up trying to f- figure this all out or feel like I'm in control. Exactly. That's what it is. You're giving up, you're giving up not only the control, but you're giving up the stories that have determined your reactions. Because, you know, one of the things I've said this in the past, but you know, at Vipassana, when you become a server, you're sitting there and these people have been meditating for 10 hours a day and they are going through some of the deepest processing that they possibly can. And as a server, your job is to become, you know, is to clean daily to have your meditation, to do everything. And one of the teachers told me, and I will reiterate this, even though I know I said it last season, is that he said, every single time you want to go up to one of these meditators, 
they have just been inside their heads this entire time. Like they're literally listening, their voice inside their head has become as loud as anyone else's voice around. Like, because they're in noble silence, they're not speaking. The only thing that they're experiencing is their own mind. And he's like, recognize that any interaction that you have with them is, can be deeply disturbing to their, to their process. So every single time that you go to react to something that they do, stop and act instead, right? Recognize that reaction comes from your little self. Reaction is what we're trying in all of the meditation practice. We're trying to break the link between a stimulus that comes in the sense door. So any stimulus at all and the reaction that you feel as a result of it. And you're trying to break the bridge between those two things. And so if you can stop, then what happens is that that pause, that hesitation can be enough to completely, even your awareness of your reaction, both those things can, can cause a severance between the stimulus and the reaction. And then all of a sudden you're free to act and you're free to act from a place that is not your wounds for lack of a better, you know, for, to simplify it as much as possible. Right. And I think what meditation does, Vipassana specifically, is it slow down what, what Buddha calls as the sense doors. It slows down that knee-jerk reaction that we were talking about earlier when there's like, you know, the 11 million bits of information coming at you at every, uh, every second. With what, what meditation and Vipassana do is they slow it down so you, you just change your awareness so you can finally perceive that there are subtle sensations constantly occurring. A sound is either pleasant or unpleasant the fly landing on your skin, it's either pleasant or unpleasant. You know, the sexual arousal you feel seeing a handsome person or whatever, that's pleasant or unpleasant. Like we're constantly being inundated with pleasant and unpleasant sensations. And if we're not aware of those sensations, reactions, we just go down this knee-jerk domino effect chain reaction of, of behaviors and responses from that sense door. So our sense door, which is how... These sensations are coming in through into our reality field from the external. When we can observe the moment they enter our world, our internal world through these sense doors of taste, touch, thought, smell, sound, then if we can slow it down that we can see when they first come in and just changing that awareness can totally shift the domino effect if we are the doer of action and maybe we were just destined to, to do that anyways. I mean, it's just like such a mind fuck. Mind <laughs> it really is because, you know, going back to the doer of action, because like, as you said, it's important to kind of touch on this is that, you know, my understanding of not being the doer of action is on the one hand, it felt like, oh, well, I can just relinquish control because I'm not doing this anyway. It's just being played out in front of me. And my job, I continually use this analogy is that my sankaras and my reactions and my karma are a bathtub, right? And I have two jobs in this world. One is to let the drain out, right? Which is to process all this, the water that has, has already accumulated in the bathtub. And the second is to stop the faucet from filling up the bathtub more, right? And by doing practices like Vipassana and doing things like that, you turn off the faucet and in processing your shadow, you empty the drain. Like you I open love up that the drain, analogy. Right. Yeah. And so when you're not the doer of action, then actually you get a little bit off the hook, right? Because all of a sudden the world is just happening, right? And you can have action in this world, but you're not reacting to the world. So you're not putting more water into the bathtub. Right. right. And so that's the real trick of this is that like, you can get into a total mind fuck with this. You can get into a mind freeze with this. And you're like, I don't understand. Like what is alignment? What is this? Know that that is your mind trying to grasp something that is completely ungrasp uh, ungraspable. And we're obviously doing our best within where we've sat with it for years to try and figure out what does this mean? And, and listening to teachers who've taught us, how do you grasp the ungraspable? Okay. I direct my attention because my attention is my free will. That's my, that's my, you know, when we talk about what is free will, I believe, and I've been taught that, you know, free will is where do we direct our attention? What right. in the golden corral are we going to put on our plates? And one of the things I direct my attention to is learning to train myself to not react. So not put more water in my bathtub 
and then, and then directing my attention to wounds work, right? So the shadow work, like looking at my wounds and saying, how can I empty the bathtub? Because that will make it easier for me to not react. The more I empty my bathtub, the more free I am of all the stories and all the bullshit that has made it so that I feel like I can't not react, right? And both of those things, both of the, the two wings of that bird allow me to, to, Fly. direct my attention <laughs> to fly to fly good um, right i think well go ahead i was going to say i feel like this this question of do we have free will or are we do not the doer of action can be a mind fuck and then you're like well what do i do with all this like if you're listening you're like well maybe i am the doer of action maybe i'm not like what the fuck do i do with this i think ultimately if you want like a practical application of this is when it serves you to feel like you're not the doer of action, believe that. And when you feel like you need to have locus of control on your world, believe that. Yeah. Because <laughs> ultimately we don't know anyways. So just act in the way that makes you feel happier. Yeah. If you're stressed at work and everything's coming at you and you're like, I don't know what to do with everything. And you're like, I'm not the doer of action. I'm just going to flow with the river. I'm not going to flow against it. That feels great. Yep. And then there's times when you're like, I need to control this and I want to start a business and I want to do this and I want to do that. Then believe you are in control because that also feels good. Yep. Yep. And right. I mean, I mean, is this a, am I juveniling breaking it down? Like we don't know. So no, if I, we don't know, I, I, why no, not just I, do what feels good? <laughs> I think that's, I think that's totally valid. And I think that um, one of the things that someone said to me once, which just felt so good with it made me accept not being the doer of action better was when someone said there is no wrong path right mm -hmm. there's just there's just where you choose to to put your attention like there's no wrong decision that i can make in this play because it's already played out you could think of it that or just because you want to trust that every single turn that you are taking is the right turn for you even if it takes you into a really dark place and you know, we want to avoid suffering. Like, obviously we want to avoid suffering. Obviously we want to avoid abuse. Obviously we want to avoid death. We want to avoid all of these different things. And yet the more attention we take away from that and like, did I make the right choice and instead put it on, can I be okay with any choice? How can I be more okay with any choice that I make, with anything that happens? You don't become a bump on a log. You're going to still act, but you're still going to be okay with any choice. And you're not going to be doing it from a place of reaction and trauma and, and, and filters and, and biases and all of these different things, right? So I feel like the biggest takeaway from this whole episode, well, it might've just been a big Sudoku puzzle with no solution. So sorry about that. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this episode, if you're listening, is just try it. If you're just curious, uh, do the little exercise, you know, scan your mind today for the next few days. And then you might make it a lifetime process that just you're like, let me just go through my head and see why I'm mad or depressed or angry today. And then just say, you know, and think about the source of your anger and think about the source of your depression and the source of your being mad or whatever. Be like, I'm not angry for the reason I think. I'm not depressed for the reason I think. I'm not mad for the reason I think. Like just maybe open the possibility that perhaps, perhaps maybe Buddha was right. Maybe the Course in Miracles was right. Maybe the Vedanta was right. Maybe, you know, like maybe all these wise ass people were right or onto something. <laughs> like like, let's just entertain for a minute that perhaps you are not upset for the reason you think and try saying it and just see how it changes your perspective and your life because truth is ex an experience. It's not something we talk about on a podcast. It's not something you read in a book. Truth is something that when you apply it to your life, you see results, meaning your suffering becomes less intense, less frequent and or shorter. So with all that in mind, just try it and see what happens. Can we, uh, I loved the quote that you sent me last night about from the Bible, because we talk about all these Eastern religions, but I also think it's important that even the Bible 
itself from the Sermon on the Mount. Do you want me to read it? It says, absolutely. Uh, this is from Matthew six twenty-five to 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than clothing and the body more than clothing? So the idea being that it's the same thing that we were talking about. It's the same thing in the fact that if we draw our attention to the things that we need to instead of the worldly in whatever way we can, then God's taking care of the rest of it because we are not the doer of actions. The play is already played out. So all we can do is put our attention on making it so that, you know, emptying the bathtub and stopping the faucet. Right. And in that Sermon on the Mount, you can interpret it. There's a part where you can interpret it to say, if I see everything as perfect, everything comes to me. You know, so meaning when I can see, when I can forgive everything and see everything just as perfect and give up all resistance, everything I need, the clothing, just like the flowers and the birds and the, you know, everything will come to me. Yeah. The kingdom of heaven is here when we can, when our mind shifts, the kingdom of heaven can appear. Mm-hmm. Yep. And hopefully that Bible verse wasn't too triggering for people. <laughs> so funny that we are like, keep giving these disclaimers. And for the people who are listening, who love the Bible, we hope that us saying, we hope this doesn't trigger you, doesn't trigger you. Very good point. With the closing remarks, we hope that you guys, if you have any questions about this, because this is a big topic, please let us know. You know, you can follow us on TikTok, send us an email, this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com. And we may have a question answer um, episode if this was a lot for you, or if you have any questions that have come out of this. So thank you, Anna, for this episode. Oh, well, I thought we both did it, but thank you. <laughs> no, we did, but you, you Oh, thank it. you for coming up, <laughs> up with the idea. Yeah, exactly. I get it. I get it. Well, well you know it. what, Chris? I wasn't the doer of action. Oh, snap. (laughs) Thanks, Anna. It just came through me. We hope that you enjoyed this inaugural episode for season two of This Spiritual Fix. There were a couple of call to actions there at the end of the episode. We invite you to join us on TikTok for the expansion of the conversation, as well as on Instagram, both at This Spiritual Fix. And rate and review us on iTunes so people can find us. Thanks so much. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done.